Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Text phrase, today's message comes from the Gospel of Mark, as you heard a few moments ago. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, welcome back to another adventure of Jesus as we journey with him by the sea. Now, our story today takes place after the two stories that we've heard the last two weeks. So if you missed it, we saw Jesus crossing the sea when a storm arises and he calms it. As they get to the other side, when they arrive, they meet a man with many demons who is healed. And then they cross over again, and this is where we have today's gospel reading. Today, we're not going to be focusing on Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. We're going to be focusing on the woman who touched Jesus, which, given our current conditions, you might be initially reacting like, she did what? What's interesting right away from this story, though, isn't that she touched Jesus. It's the fact that only one person in this crowd was healed. I mean, think about it. Verse 21 tells us, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. No sooner had he stepped upon the shore, and Jesus is surrounded. Now imagine how many people this must have been. Now, this story is also recorded in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, the next chapter records Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. So the crowd was probably pretty sizable at this point. And here are all these people crowding around Jesus, touching the one in whom the fullness of God dwells. Yet no one there received a miracle. At least we aren't told that they did even though they probably touched him multiple times as they crowded around him. Maybe it's because none of these people who were there really expected a miracle or even asked for one. I mean, isn't that like us many times? Right? We walk into church or we jump online, sing a few songs, maybe we skip the songs, jump to the message, tune out during the message, pray, worship in his presence, in our pajamas. And now it's lunchtime. We come and then we go without anything really changing at all. Isn't it incredible how we can be in the awesome presence of God and be so unaware of his mighty power sometimes? I mean, God is in this place. God is with us and god was in the flesh on earth in jesus christ i mean that's what john chapter 1 verse 14 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us now some people in this story know of god's power jairus was one of them right he fell at jesus's feet and said come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live and as Jesus went with Jairus, 
a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. So you can imagine that maybe time was of the essence, right? What the crowd didn't know, though, was that Jesus wanted to do something right then and there. Now, have you ever felt like you're stuck in a rut? I mean, no matter what happens in your life, you feel like every time you take one step forward, you're really taking two steps back. Maybe it's because your focus isn't in the right place. I mean, I've found in my whole 37 years of life that you can't push God around, right? You can't give him directions. You can't give him a time limit. There is a greater temptation to consider prayer as the art of bossing God around. I mean, we try to fit God into our own agenda. We place him where he think we think he should be or try to convince him of what is most important in our lives. So if you've ever done that before, let me ask you, how's it working out for you? Is God fitting into your little box of what you'd like? I mean, this may have been what happened here with Jesus. All these people are pushing him, trying to get him to Jairus' home to heal his daughter, which he will do in time. But there's something more important for him to do first. And that's where we meet this last person of the story. Right Out from the crowds comes this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. Ladies, I know there's a number of you in this room. How does that sound? And Mark tells us this. She suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She tried everything to become well. All of her money spent on every doctor around, and she got worse. Not only did this condition affect her health, but it also made her unclean, which is what we read in the Old Testament from Leviticus, which you probably don't hear very often at all. I mean, she was likely cut off from worship and fellowship with everyone. Right? She probably felt hopeless, unworthy, lonely, isolated, hurt, angry, and alienated from God. There are people like her all around us, maybe even today, that experience the same feelings as this woman. You see, we all go through all different kinds of problems, storms, in our lifetime. I mean, maybe it's not 12 years of bleeding storms, but maybe it's 12 months without a job. Maybe it's 12 years of back pain or depression. Maybe it's the, some of the hardships that some of you have been experiencing since March. I mean, and the list can go on and on. And why do all of these things happen? The answer is simple. The answer is sin. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, sin entered the world. And since that day, nothing has ever been the same. We live in a fallen world with wars and rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, famines, diseases, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, pandemics, while people's lives and everything they have suffers. 
because we live in a sin-filled world, these things happen, and they happen to us. And we don't experience them all, but we experience some of them. And because of that, we all need Jesus in our lives. And this woman who was bleeding for 12 years needed Jesus in her life. We read, She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now this is quite interesting, don't you think? I mean, why would this woman want to just touch Jesus' clothes? and not all of him, not give him a big old hug. Right? She didn't want to run up and grab him. She didn't even fall at his feet. Right? No, she came up from behind. Right? She didn't want him to know. Do you ever try and do something that you think God doesn't know you do? How does that work out for you? I mean, this woman wanted just a quick touch and go. Now, you might ask, why? It's a little strange. Well, there are some wise people who have told us to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So that's what we're going to do. Now, in the other Old Testament reading that you heard today from the book of Numbers, again, not a book you probably read very often, we read this. Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on that tassel of each other And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them. God tells his people to attach tassels to the corners of their garments so that they will constantly, visually be reminded to live their lives as he created them to live. To this day, many Jews wear a prayer shawl to obey this text. And that's the first part. The second part, we're going to go to the prophet Malachi. Also not a prophet you probably hear very often. But he has something to say. In chapter 4, he says this, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. This might be a prediction of the Messiah. Now you might say, those two verses, well, I don't really see the connection. Okay, so let me help you connect the dots. It just so happens I have a prayer shawl here that I got from my time in Israel. The word for tassels in Numbers chapter 15 is the word tzitzit. And these were to be made on the corners of the garments. Now, the word for corners is kanaf. And in Malachi chapter 4, the word for wings is kanaf. So it is quite possible that people, including this bleeding woman, believed that when the Messiah came, that there would be healing powers in his kanaf, the tassels of his prayer shawl. So here's Jesus, a Jew, a teacher, a rabbi, observing the words of Numbers, and he's wearing a prayer shawl. So this woman believes that Jesus, if Jesus really is the Messiah, 
that he would have healing powers in his clothes. And so she reaches and touches him. And what happens as soon as, soon as she touches his clothes? Immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Boom! In an instant, the last 12 years are but a memory. I mean, the picture that you've seen a few times now that I've zoomed in for you is from the wall. It was on the, the wall above an altar in a church basement in the city of Magdala in Israel, which, yes, that is where Mary Magdalene would have been from. And it's de depicting this woman, this bleeding woman, her hand reaching amongst all the other feet and touching just the garment of Jesus. And you can see there this little light or a little spark almost showing the miracle happening. Jesus felt the power go out from him. And he turns and asks, who touched my garments? I mean, of course he knew who touched him, right? He's the son of God. So this wasn't just to accuse the woman. It was an opportunity for her to acknowledge, to confess her faith in him. Now imagine this woman, right? You probably went from this high of, yes, I'm finally healed, to, oh no, he's looking for me. Right? I mean, she hadn't planned on being found out, right? She came from behind him, touched him quick, out, in and out, and then she would sneak away. But finally, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. The woman thinks she's in trouble. She falls at Jesus' feet, confesses that she is the one who touched him. I mean, who knows what could have happened to her, right? Remember, because she was unclean and was not supposed to touch anyone, much less a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus. However, there's no punishment. There's no uncleanness on Jesus' part. Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This woman was able to be in the presence of God. Now, there was a time and place where God made his presence, his dwelling place in the tabernacle, the most holy place for the people. You could only enter it once a year, and that was the high priest who could. This was in the tabernacle, and later it became the temple, that you would be able to go there at the temple, and you'd also be able to have your sins forgiven through sacrifices. And then we saw in the Gospel of John, God, the Word made flesh, came to dwell with his people. Jesus made his dwelling place among his people. He came for us. He became the final sacrifice for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. Because like that woman who suffered for 12 years, we are unclean. We are unclean because of our sin, and we are all guilty of sin. But in our sin, we don't have faith like her. Right? We don't reach out for Jesus, for his power, for his healing. Right? We turn away from him. Right? We reject him. We don't want anything to do with him, let alone have him 
dwell with us, be amongst us, be in our presence. And if we turn Christ away, we will not dwell with him in heaven. We will dwell in eternal separation from him. That's hell. The absence of Christ and his love. And it's what we deserve for our sin. Punishment. Condemnation. Hell. That is what all of us deserve. But that is not what Christ wants for us. And that's why he was born. That's why he was born a man. That's why he dwelled among us. That's why he lived our life, walked our walk. Yet he overcame all of those temptations, did not sin, and thus was able to be that sacrifice for us. We needed someone to cleanse us, to wash us, to purify us, to make us holy, and that was Christ, the sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish, perfect in every way. When we wanted nothing to do with him, he came for us. He reached out to us by stretching out his arms and giving up his life for us on the cross. And in his death, that temple curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom, showing that everyone now has direct access to God. No more needing to go through the high priest to intercede for us on our behalf. No more need for offering sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was our final sacrifice. And he is our great high priest. And in his resurrection from the dead, he gives us the power over sin, death, and the devil by grace, through faith. And he makes all things, all people, clean. And he promises that he will come again and he will dwell with us because he is our God and we are his people. He is the light in our darkness, our comfort in our suffering, our hope in uncertainty, our peace in the storms, our shelter, our refuge, our dwelling place. And he is worthy of all honor, praise, and glory. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.